This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning comic book store, Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. And listeners like you, head to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or check us out at Patreon backslash TwoHeadedNerd. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 608 of the Two-Headed Nerd comic book podcast. My name is Matt Baum, and once again, I'm a free man, baby. And I'm the internet's Joe Patrick, also happy to be free from the future state prison, but I do miss the friends I made, and I am grateful for the introspective me time. You're not supposed to make friends in prison. Okay, that's not how it works. You're supposed to make Haven't enemies you and scare Shawshank? people. Good lord, man. That was a Come long time on. ago when prison was still cute. <laughs> Today we'll be reviewing a pile of new comics from the week of Wednesday, February 3rd. And then it's up to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum to discuss our must-read picks for next week. After that, the comic pushers are back talking about comics for kitties with the help from our buddy, Ryan Hebrews Mount. So, now that we're completely unshankled, and free to discuss comics from across the company verse. It's review time in the Ziggurat. This week's pile features sex cults, man bats, little dragons fighting big dragons, undersea monsters, and knights teaming up with swords masters. Joe, it's good to be back, baby. Get us started here. He's just the master of the one sword. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I guess it's not multiple swords or masters for that matter. It's just one sword. Right. Master. So, First up for me is Fear Case number one from Dark Horse. Matt Kent has somehow snuck yet another totally bizarre concept past us under the radar. I don't even remember hearing about this project. Do I you? Yeah, this is a complete shock to me. In fact, until I literally opened the file, I was like, oh, Matt Kent. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I had no idea. Fear Case follows a pair of detectives as they struggle to solve the mystery of a strange artifact that seems to have made its way through history for millennia. The story has a very fun, uh, you know, like Shirley Jackson or the monkey's paw or the box kind of vibe, like a Stephen King short story, urban legend type of thing. As we learn the history of this cursed object, rumored to drive its possessors to brutality. Ooh. That's Tyler a- Jenkins's haunting art really helps set the mood alongside Kent's creepy script. Uh, the main detectives are really likable and fleshed out well in the span of just this single issue. And the ending is surprisingly intense and graphic. Fear case number one is another winner from a writer that just keeps winning with great art by Jenkins. Huge buy it. Yeah, this was a pleasant surprise and completely fantastic and just as weird as everything we've come to expect from Matt Kent. My only question is, maybe space this out with your other comic a little bit. So, I don't know, if one falls behind, you can then do this one or it just seems like he's... Don't put Matt Kent in a box. He just seems like he's competing with himself. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Like, you know, hey, what are you, Cullen Bunn? Settle down, man. Come on. Nobody puts Matt, <laughs> nobody puts Matt Kent in the corner. I'm giving a buy it. It was great. Uh, really cool art as well. And again, Matt Kent is just chock full of weird friggin' ideas and I dig him. I don't know. He's a weird th- cat. I'm not sure if he's okay. He's a weird cat. He makes <laughs> Jeff Lemire look like a vegetable lasagna, if you know what I mean. 
My first review is of Man Bat, number one from DC. It's written by Dave Wildgoes. No way I'm saying that right. With art by Sumit Kumar. This is not a future state story, but it takes place before the events of Metal and Man Bat joining the Justice League Dark, according to the little box under the artist credits that I so badly wanted in the future state books. Look, just <laughs> this weekend on cover to cover, you said you were over it. No, so I, I don't want to hear about it anymore. I was over bitching about it. I'm just saying. This reminded me why I like that stuff so much. Here, we see a desperate Kirk Langstrom trying once again to perfect the man-bat serum. His wife, Francine, has left him, and he's trying to prove himself not just to her, but to Batman and to Gotham and everybody by showing he can be a hero. Unfortunately, his own addiction to the serum and being man-bat is proving to be too much for him, and it just might kill him. I don't recognize either of these creators' names, and I have to say, I love that. DC seems to be giving new creators a shot. And Sumit it, Kumar, I know we've seen before. Okay, I didn't, I, I don't remember. Yes. Okay. Um, and then there was, there was something in the back matter in the, the like little DC weekly promo page where James Tinian talks about introducing uh, this writer to comics. He was an editor. Right. He was a bad editor. I saw James Tinian tweet something about that. But yeah. I just didn't recognize the name. Regar yeah, I think this is his first project. If it results in storytelling this good, fine with me. Wild Goss script tells the story of an addict dealing with his addiction and making terrible decisions. Man Bat is a fantastic character and perfect to tell this kind of story about the rage and depression that can lead to addiction. Kumar's art is excellent. It's got this very angular, sharp style, reminding me of Sean Phillips. Very like Sean Tang Murphy. Sean pardon Murphy. me, Sean Murphy, Tangung Huat. And who's the other one that you mentioned last night when I asked you? Mateo Scalera. Mateo Scalera. That's who I was thinking of. This was just Manning a- what? Yeah. His early stuff, definitely. He got weird. Okay. He got weird later on, but I'm giving this a huge buy it. This was the best man bat story that I've read in a long time. Not only that, it was just Batman in Gotham being Batman in the Gotham we recognize and it felt really nice. It was just like a comfy Batman sleeping bag that I crawled into. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, I thought this was great. Um, uh, it was really well done. I, I do like this take on Man man Bat where the Man Bat kind of has some sort of agency. Yeah. He's not just like a shrieking animal. Right. I mean, um, it's there. He's still shrieking, but he can talk. Well, yeah, yeah, but I mean, he can think and yeah. uh, he can think and talk and make decisions. You know, he's he's not just wild. Right. Um, the art was amazing. Yeah, stunning. And uh, I thought this was excellent. It's a buy it for me. Next up for me, Deep Beyond, number one from Image. Uh, I'm just going to reread the solicit here uh, because it leads into my first point. Uh, yeah. In, in I, an underpopulated future Earth, devastated by the dire consequences of the Millennium Bug, the survival of mankind and maybe of the planet itself is handled by a small number of people. Talented scientists who, despite the adverse situation and the stupid feuds that continue to divide the small number of people still alive, try to understand and study what is hidden in the depths of the abyss. Something mysterious and dangerous, which could eventually cause an even worse and more destructive catastrophe. I'll give them this. Undersea danger? Check. Yeah. Scientists? Check. In there. <laughs> They're there. <laughs> Stupid feuds? Check. Sorta, I guess. I just really wish that writers Mirka Andolfo and David Goy had put enough effort into establishing the setting in their story 
as they did in their solicit. Uh, we're just kind of thrown into this world without understanding how we got here. We do know technically thanks to like some throwaway line that it is 2085 and the world has been shit for 85 years. Right. We know that. And we know what happened on December 31st, but I don't even think they say that. Oh no. We know that they figured shit out on December 31st or something. I don't know. So basically Y2K ruined the earth. I something, I guess. Uh, plus there are added layers about class struggle romantic and familial entanglements and political conspiracy it just made it kind of difficult to know where to put my focus like i i wish we had focused more on like an a plot and there is no a plot it's all a plot uh, i did like the art by andrea brocardo and barbara nascenzo uh, especially the designs of the futuristic environment uh, the undersea infection, uh, like the infected bodies that have been exposed to the uh, environment kind of reminded me of the clickers or uh, the infected from The Last of Us with all like the spores and shit growing out of their faces. It's gross. <laughs> uh, deep Beyond, number one. It's an interesting concept uh, with nice art. It just had a little too much going on in the plot. And so none of the separate elements of the plot really had a chance to hook me. So I'm giving it a skim it. Yeah, I, I'm with you 100% here, where there was just too much going on and there was never really a chance to ground yourself in the story. Like at first, with a child like Deep Beyond and a sea creature on the cover and shit like that, I'm going, all right, we're underwater. Well, are we? I couldn't tell. Like we weren't though. We, they were under, they showed the underwater base like uh, two times. Yeah. So some people were underwater. Some other people may or may not have been underground, but I'm not really certain. There's definitely a scene where they like go to the surface of something and there's monsters there. But like, I, I think that they are like, I couldn't frame anything. I couldn't figure I out where anything like was caged happening. In. I think they're like caged in from the environment because to go outside is certain death. Oh, fair enough. But like because I, of the atmosphere, I couldn't really put that together. And if you pair that with all the other stuff that you brought up that is also going on, it's just too easy to get lost in this book. Yeah. It, it's just like the so-and-so government wants me to do this, but I'm too upset about my lost, uh, how you, how you treated me dirty scientist man yeah and then like five pages later it's like and now there's a twin sister yeah taking me at gunpoint it's like what the hell there was a lot going on and i couldn't piece really much of it together and it just seems like maybe they needed to roll it out a little slower and introduce those ideas by all means but do it once we know where the story is how we got here why this is happening where we even fucking are you know <laughs> there was no juxtaposition that was my main problem giving it a skim as well the art was very good Next up for me is Chain to the Coffin, number one from IDW. This is written by Brian Level and Andrew Eschenbach with art by Kate Sharon. This was equal parts The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly meets Beetlejuice. The story of Roy Mason, an outlaw, killed while stealing gold from an even worse outlaw with magic powers. He's brought back from the dead by his wife and literally chained to his headstone. Oh, by the way, the wife has some ulterior motives, too. Women. Le don't, don't get me started. Level and Eschenbach's script is pure magic western lunacy written from Zombie Roy's perspective in his own oftentimes ridiculous southern accent. 
Sharon's art is minimal and cartoony, but it's good in expressing action, and it glows with a color palette of neon pinks and greens that look like they literally glow in the dark. While the script never takes itself too seriously, it also gets a bit hard to follow at times. This was kind of a fun magic zombie western romp, but it could be a little more focused. It was kind of hard to follow, honestly. There was a good this man, this monster moment in the end of the book, but the rest of the book was so wacky that it really didn't work. It's like none of the humor really landed, none of the horror really landed, and I found myself sometimes going, what is happening in the story in this part? I don't even know who these characters are. I'm giving it a skim it because I like the art, but the story is bad. It's bad. Let's just call it what it is. I didn't like this. Uh, the end. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I thought that the story was nearly impossible to follow. Yeah. And I thought that the art, while it's very dynamic and colorful and, and bold and bright, there was so many storytelling problems that I got lost. Like, There was a lot of point of took, view issues where I kept jumping it, around and you would look at a character from a different angle and I would go, is that the same character? <laughs> like, like there's twins. Yeah, like I, I, this character like, has twins. And then there's these other twins that are in the book too that are evil, I think, and may or may not have been, you know, aged versions of the regular twins based on what I was looking at, <laughs> you know? Yeah, and it, it took me way too long to figure out the thing with the wife towards the end of the book. Uh, I was just wait, 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 what's what is happening? Is that? Oh, I picked up that on that. Her? I picked up on that pretty quick. But oh, I mean, the only reason I picked up on it is because the script explicitly spells it out. Okay, fair enough. But like, based just looking on the art, I was just like, I, that's I don't understand. I don't understand how we got to this point. Yeah, it it um, was kind of sloppy storytelling so, wise. I while I do think that the artist has promise, and it it, it was fun to look at. Uh, the story was a mess. The storytelling was a mess. And so I got to give it a leave it. That's fair. Sorry, indie creators. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe next time, indie creators. What's his name? Shazam! All right. Next up for me, The King in Black, The Black Knight, number one from Marvel. I believe it's just a one shot. Yes. I adore The Black Knight. Such a great tragic history of a cursed blade traveling down a family line, threatening madness upon all who wield it. Dane Whitman, the modern day knight, is struggling with his own sanity, uh, his desire to prove himself, the hero that he once was, and the bloodlust the ebony blade is trying to bring out in him. The King in Black stuff is actually almost an afterthought here. Like, they, they do weave in Null into the origin of the Black Knight. But really, it could have been anything. It could have been any, like, evil sure, entity. Sure. So other than, like, the fact that the dragons vaguely tie into the overall Camelot theme, the King of Black tie-in kind of seemed shoe shoehorned in. Uh, writer Cy Spurrier does a great job getting inside Dane's head and subverting everything we thought we knew about the character. He also uses a pair of those video game tie-in characters, Arrow and Swordmaster, to great effect. Uh, this is probably the my favorite uh, issue that I've read them in. Uh, that's not saying a whole lot. <laughs> but I like I actually enjoyed their I enjoyed no, their I agree. You know, I their agree. contributions to the issue. Absolutely beautiful art by Jesus Sayas in this issue. His soft painted colors add like a true 
mythological quality to the artwork, especially in the flashback scenes with Merlin and King Arthur and all that. I'm glad that Spurrier is bringing Dane back in a new Black Knight miniseries next month uh, because this was a perfect reintroduction to the character. I'm giving it a buy it. Yeah. When I, okay. So when I read the arrow and sword master in this, my eyes immediately rolled. Cause it just like, I don't care. I don't care. I mean, Marvel's going to use them that, gonna use and I them. get it. And God bless them for trying to reach out to, you know, Asian markets with characters. We should have more Asian characters. I agree. But plucking characters from video games and putting them in my comics. Ugh, there's so many great Asian characters you can do stuff with. There's so many that already exist. Come on guys. Regardless of that, this was great. And I am thrilled. That's they're letting Spurrier write a Black Knight miniseries. I'm also thrilled that it is a miniseries and not an ongoing because not everybody can support an ongoing. And I think they are realizing that. Now, if it becomes a vehicle for this Dane Whitman to join the Avengers again, fine with that. That would be awesome. I love the character. Yeah. I love Saves' his art. And I got to say, every time I've bumped into one of these King in Black spinoffs, They've been really good. They're fun. They've yeah, they been, been great. The Valkyries one is excellent. <laughs> like, yeah, they've been fun. Man, I'm, yeah, huge buy it from me. Next up for me is Luna, number one from Boom. This is from written and drawn by Maria Lovett, and people are gushing over her talent in the back of this book. This is a story of a young woman named Teresa who finds herself following her prophetic dreams in the desert, where she stumbles across the family of the sun. Family is really a group of women living with a male cult leader who says he understands Teresa's search for the meaning behind her dreams, but he might just be another egotistical leader of a sex cult. <laughs> Whoops. Lovett's art is excellent in its loose style, and she does an amazing job filling her pages with prophetic visions that leap right off of tarot cards. The story wanders around a bit, though, and it never really establishes why we care about the main character, why she's in the desert, where, what desert she's even in. <laughs> I remember a time when artists used to sign their splash pages, and I don't have a problem with that, but I noticed that Lovett seemed to sign every third panel in this book, <laughs> and it really started to take me out of the script. I didn't notice that. Yeah, Luna was- I only noticed it one time. There were seriously like five in this book. Luna was beautiful to look at, but it never really establishes any ground rules before just diving into the psychedelic. So it was hard to learn anything about the main character, let alone relate to or care about her. I'm giving this a skim it because the story just isn't there. I'm, the art yeah. is really I mean, intense, but I think she needs a writer to help her sharpen this a little bit. You know, I think her art is great. But the story is just like, it is like the anti-Joe Patrick type of story <laughs> where I just like, it's, it's that sort of like overly flowery, very obtuse, early vertigo. Look at my wild ideas. Yes. And my, like. There's definitely, and, and a, I, there's a big idea here that is not being executed yeah. well. Um, I also found this to be very similar, at least, not to be fair, I did not finish Faithless, but that's also about a young woman who stumbles into a weird sex thing with a guy who may or may not have evil powers. Right. And it's just like, well, okay. Uh, so, but yeah, it's just the sort of thing where like I read it, I was like, all right. But when it was over, I was like, 
I don't know. I don't get it. Yeah. It, and it's, it's just not for me. And the it's creator credits, like in the back, where like so and so says, a masterpiece done by a master who's making everyone else in the business look dumb. And I'm like, really? <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, look, I, I, I 100% agree. The art is beautiful. The art is intense. It, 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 is, a, it is a gorgeous comic book. Yeah. The art is intense. Um, but like, I don't know. The story just. But needs. it's just like, it's just not, it's not my thing. So it's a skim it for me. Meanwhile, my final jump. review of the week is back in that King and Black bullshit. Marauders, number one. It's a one shot in case you were confused about it being part of the other Marauders series, which is on number 13. Regular Marauders writer Jerry Duggan teams with artist Luke Ross for this one-shot addressing the Marauders' involvement in the Null Invasion. The crew is on a mission to rescue two of their own that becomes a mission of mercy when they stumble upon some human traffickers on the high seas. This was a great little one-off story about the X-Men using the power and influence of Krakoa to defend the defenseless even if they're not mutants. I love this particular group of characters. Marauders is my favorite of the Dawn of X books right now. And I think that Jerry Duggan has a great handle on all of them. Uh, Luke Ross is great on art. He's a little bit looser and more cartoony than I remember seeing from him in the past. Yeah. But it's still really good. Like, I think if you look back at Luke Ross's art through the years, he has changed dramatically. Definitely. Because I had to double take when I saw, like, I read the book and then I was like, who is this artist? And it blew my mind that this was Luke Ross. I had no yeah. clue. Keen Black Marauders is a fun one shot that helps bring the X universe into the event without derailing the main series. I'm giving it a, a buy it. It was perfectly fun. Like all of these tie-ins have been. Yeah, I agree. This was another one that was just good. It wasn't anything weird where we ripped the characters out of their regular story and they're acting strange or anything. It was really well done. And there's a moment that is extremely Kitty Pride in this where we have a mission, we got to do this thing, and then they get a distress call from a ship that's like, we're in serious trouble. And Kitty goes, I love that thing we have to do, but we're going to help these people. Yeah, you know? And I it's like, I love that. Yeah, Bishop is like, Kitty, Kitty, our priority is to rescue Cyclops yeah. and Storm. And she's like, You're right, Bishop, you're right. Set a course for that other ship. Yeah. And he's like, don't make me pull rank on you. And she was like, don't worry. You won't. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> like, very Kitty Pride. Duggan's got a great handle on these characters. I am sick to death of Pyro's outfit and oh, the skull in his face. It's fine. I hate it. I want a new costume. I costs. love his face. I love his Kill him. Tattoo. And I want him reborn without the dumb face tattoo. It's stupid. Don't need it. They've done that. He just keeps getting it redone. I'm giving this a buy it. It's dumb. <laughs> My final review is of Maniac of New York, number one from Aftershock. This was written by Elliot Kalan with art by Andrea Muti. Uh, it's Elliot Kalan. He is a... Kalen, uh, sorry. He is a former writer for The Daily Show. Oh, no kidding. I didn't know that. And uh, one of the co-hosts of the immensely popular Flophouse uh, Bad Movie Podcast. Really? I did not know yes. that. Okay. Four years ago, a maniac killer known only as Henry began stalking the streets of New York and left a bloodbath in his wake in Times Square. Much like Jason Voorhees and Michael Myers, Henry is 
unpredictable, unstoppable, and has become a force of nature that city officials have chosen to ignore, pretty much. Well, it's more like they are actually treating him like a force of nature. It's pretty like, much, yeah. They're like, we're just we're, we we're getting know. about one to three inches of maniac Harry. In, yeah, uh, we don't know how Manhattan to deal with today. it, so we're not going <laughs> to deal with it. Reporters issue Harry sighting warnings and even make jokes about Harry on the news to residents as Harry's reign of terror has become the new normal in New York City. But one disgraced detective put in charge of the Harry task force has decided she's going to make a difference, even if the city doesn't care about stopping Harry anymore. It's like I, when I read this, I was like, this is like Jason. Uh, this is like Friday the 13th. If Jason never stopped taking Manhattan. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Kalen's art, Kalen's script holds a mirror up to our COVID stricken society that has either just accepted the death of 400,000 plus Americans or is pretending like it never happened. The story uses Harry as a stand in for gun violence, the global pandemic, wrongful death at the hands of police, pick your poison, and just about any other horror we've decided to completely ignore or normalize and frame it like a John Carpenter movie. Moody's art is more loose than I remember. He's using a lot of watercolors here and washed out panels to yeah, give the book good, a, a very late 80s grindhouse horror feel. Maniac New York uses the 80s unstoppable slasher genre to examine how modern society can doubt fact and normalize almost any situation. It was mean, it was nihilistic, and wonderful comic book storytelling. I am giving this a huge buy it. Loved this. Yeah, this was really good. Uh, I, I I did read that he wrote this before the pandemic, um, but you could easily like apply any allegory to it. Literally anything you want. School shootings, and, or and it would be yeah. You could you could find a a, a way to you know read into that. Um, I thought the art was fantastic. Um, I loved you know I loved the characters. You you've got the two detectives. You've got the. <laughs> the new girl on the case who's like super gung ho about it and getting made fun of. And yeah. then you've got the old seasoned cop. that's just like, what the fuck ever. And then there's another woman who's just like, they let all of this happen to us. They deserve what they're getting. Harry should, you know, cleanse them all or whatever. And that's going to be a thing. Yeah. Uh, I, I thought, uh, yeah. So I thought uh, Elliot Kalen's script was excellent. I thought Andrea Moody's art was phenomenal. Um, you know, like I'm not, I don't have much uh, experience with the slasher genre, but I thought this was fantastic. It gets a buy it for me. It, it's just like a very intelligent level that we have not seen in the slasher genre, basically. Yeah, I loved it. All right, Matt Palm, what book wins? As if I don't already know, what was your book of the week from this pile? Yeah, it's Maniac of New York, and it's not close. This book was just, it was too smart. The art was great. The idea was fantastic, and it's such a simple idea. I love how simple and ridiculous this idea is. It's almost like a Godzilla movie, where it's like Godzilla shows up, which is like, everybody get out of the way. <laughs> Nothing we can do. Godzilla's here. Fuck it. You know, but it, yeah, I, I'm not going to go back into the whole thing. I just think it was the most interesting and best idea I've read in a comic book. Also very well executed in quite a hmm. while. Yeah. Um, for me, like Maniac of New York was, was, really good um but it's not normally my go-to genre 
Um, neither is Fear Case for that matter. But like Fear Case, I thought was so uh, like so moody and effective. Man Bat was a really pleasant surprise. Yeah. Uh, it's a tough. It's tough. I think I'm going to give it to Man Bat for the express reason. Fair enough. That it made me excited to read more from both of these creators. Yeah, and I do love that character so much, and I feel like. They've done some cool stuff with Man Bat. I liked him in Justice League Dark. That was cool. I liked him when he was running around with Detective Comics and that group. Like, it, it was a, it's a neat idea that, yeah. like, there's this other side to Man Bat. And I thought the additional addiction thing, like, straight up addict story, yeah, that yeah. was really cool. And I don't know why we've never had that before. It seems so obvious. <laughs> like, it should yeah, be right yeah, there, so right? Brap for whoosh. That is it for reviews. And brap for whoosh is the sound of Lockheed eating a fish, burping, not farting, mind you, burping, and then blowing flame, as seen in the pages of King and Black Marauders One Shot. This onomatopoeia of the week was picked by me, because I'm not afraid to admit that burping is funny. If you want to submit an onomatopoeia of the week, you can post it to any of our social media accounts or send it as an email to twittednerd at gmail.com. Better yet, Call us, 402-819-4894. Make the noise with your mouth, but you got to tell us where it comes from, what issue, and what is making the noise. And we... Like, we need to know what's going on, context. Yes, and we will play it, or mention it, and you, on this damn show. Finally, we can head back to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum to discuss our must-read picks for next week and why is everything covered in green slime? Ah, it looks like those DC jerks left the ectoplasm hot tub running when they tossed the place looking for evidence to convict us. Great. Ah, God. All right, I'm going to grab the sacred shop vac of the Vashanti and start sucking this muck up. Tell the nerds what you're excited to read next week in the meantime. Next week, I am picking Eternals 2 because we didn't get to pick number one. So I'm picking number two. I know, two. I need to read that. This is from Marvel Comics. It's written by Kieran Gillen with art by Isad Ribic. Here is your solicit. Thanos versus Icarus! In the heart of a city driven mad by time. Eternals live eternally. One is dead. They handle it well. No, they don't. They handle it badly. Eternal revenge is a dish best served forever. Really dumb solicit. <laughs> Stupid. What are you going to do? It's Kieran Gillen. I don't know. But the first issue was great. Isad Ribic's art is fucking awesome. And I can't think of anybody better or weirder to write the Eternals than Kieran Gillen. I, I have a pretty big gap uh, in Eternals reading. I really don't know a lot about them. I mean, I, I get the idea. Basically, I never read the old stuff. But I think this is a cool reintroduction. And you know what? We're getting a movie sometime down the line. I don't know when. Hey. But it's coming. Know. They keep saying, yeah, like next November or December or something. like. Uh-huh. We'll see. <laughs> Fingers crossed, guys. My pick for next week is Radiant Black, number one, from Image Comics. It's written by Kyle Higgins with art by Marcelo Costa. It's 32 pages for $3.99. And here's your solicit. I'm not yelling any of this crap. For fans of Invincible and Mighty Morphin Power Rangers comes a brand new ongoing series from acclaimed writer, yada, 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 I just read that stuff, that reinvents superheroes for a new generation. Nathan Burnett has just turned 30, and things aren't great. He's working and failing at two jobs, his credit card debt is piling up, and his only move 
is moving back home with his parents. Brutal bummer, dude. But when Nathan discovers and unlocks the ethereal cosmic radiant, he's given the power to radically change his fortunes. There's just one problem. The powers don't belong to him. And the cosmic beings who created them want them back by any means necessary. Uh, so I read a little bit about this when it was announced a, a, a month or two ago. Uh, I like Kyle Higgins a lot. Uh, and it really does sound like a cross between Invincible and Power Rangers. Like this kid discovers this thing that turns him into a superhero, you know, like an H dial or a, or a uh, what do they call the thing? The, the Morphin coin. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I thought you'd know. No, uh, I mean, like I like. Look, I've reviewed the Mighty Morphin comic, you know, Mighty Morphin comics, and they're good. But I, I, <laughs> I don't know that much about them. I'm sorry. <laughs> the, the, the morphometer. Yeah, the the morphometer. The, yeah, I, I, I think this just sounds like good superhero fun from a writer I really enjoy. I don't recognize uh, uh, the artist, um, but uh, I, I think this could be fun. Uh, Kyle Higgins is fantastic. And I'm going to read anything that he's writing. And I like that he is firmly in this like mask Japanese superhero thing with powers from space. And like, oh, yeah, he's doing the Ultraman. Good for you, man. Uh, <laughs> like, yeah. if that's your jam, I'm into it. And good. And props for staying in your wheelhouse. The THN trade of the week goes to Flash Facts, a trade paperback from DC Comics. It's 160 pages, it's only $9.99. Give me a break. Here's your solicit. Have you ever wondered what's at the bottom of the sea, why polar ice melts, or which tools forensic scientists use to solve a crime? Well, look no further! Everyone's favorite, Scarlet Speedster, is here to answer all your burning questions. Barry Allen, with the help of some of his close friends, will take readers on an exciting journey that examines everything from the vast expanse of our galaxy to the smallest living organism known to man. Curated by award-winning actress and author Mam Bialik, PhD, and featuring stories created by an all-star cast of writers and illustrators, this anthology aligns with next-generation science standards and provides a helpful bridge between the lessons taught inside the classroom and our everyday lives. This goes really well with our kitty books theme. That's exactly why I picked it. I mean, I think it's probably aimed at maybe middle school and above, uh, but still, you know, uh, and hey, Friggin' Blossom, man. She's a genius scientist. Yeah. And I think that this is a, a great project to get kids interested in science. Yeah, it's fun. And uh, yeah, I've been looking forward to it ever since we talked about it uh, when it was announced uh, uh, several months back. You can find our complete review list every Wednesday on our Twitter and Facebook if you want to read along with us. Speaking of reading along... The THN Book Club this month is reading Vision and Scarlet Witch, colon, The Saga of Wanda and Vision from Marvel Comics. And we'll be reviewing it with some friends on the final show of the month. So hit up your local comic shop and pre-order all these comics so you can play along with us. That's right, the comic pushers are back. And this time we really are pushing comics. To your children, which is disturbing, I know. But good news is, Joe and I don't have any kids. Well, so are they going to learn? Legally, we have to stay, what is it, 20 yards or 120 yards away from them? I can't remember. Uh, we better check our paperwork. That's true. We brought, for my children. <laughs> we brought in an expert. Please introduce yourself, sir. 
It's Ryan Hebrews Mount. Ryan Hebrews Mount in the flesh. I've never seen this guy. He's on the Zoom with us. He's gorgeous. You can't see him, but he's beautiful. And Ryan is going to help us. Well, it's not just us. He's going to help our friend Tony Mathers. Let's listen to the question Tony shot us first. Hey, Joe and Matt. It's Tony Mathers. And I'm just calling to let you know that I'm about to single-handedly save the comic book industry. My six-year-old son asked me to buy him comic books because he wants to learn how to read better. So uh, I thought I, I ordered him the uh, Superman Family Adventures by Art Balthazar to get him started. And I was wondering if you guys can give me some more recommendations. He wants to stick with superheroes, you know, stuff that's kind of familiar to him that he's seen on TV. So anything Marvel would be great. If you guys can give me some recommendations uh, along those lines, uh, I'd really appreciate it. Mr. Mathers, <laughs> he's got a little one and he needs some comics for them. We're trying to save the comic industry because, as you know, we're getting old and we'll be dead in the next six months. And that's going to be people that aren't reading comics and we're dropping off every day. And the kids, they're not reading. They're playing their video games. They're smoking their candy cigarettes. The video games. You know, running around with switchblades. I don't know what they do, right? So help us out here. Let's talk. Smoking Ms. their wacky tobacco. Let's talk, Hebrews. What do you got for these kitties? <laughs> all right. So my top recommendations, you know, I actually get this question all the all the time. So um, it actually got me reading some more kids' comics, uh, reading up the past couple of years. So my number one go-to recommendation for everybody is Hilo by Judd Winnick. Um, it is, I think there's seven volumes out now. Um, every, you know, I absolutely love Judd Winnick, you know, and it's somebody, you know, when you find a writer, you can kind of move up with him as well, which is what I kind of like. You start with these high-low books, either your six-year-old can read them, take them a little bit, or you'll have just as much fun reading them along with him, uh, or her. Or gender resistor, whatever. <laughs> Either one, it, they all work. So, gender real, resistor sounds like the name of a metal band. Real, <laughs> actually, it sounds more like a grindcore band to me. But <laughs> truthfully, I stole that from Aubrey Citizen. I like how he addresses everybody, brothers, sisters, and gender resistors. So. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> so, real quick, before we go further, how old's the little one in your house that you're reading comics with? So we know what's up. Uh, mine are three and six months. So okay. I'm still, I'm still on the board books, although I will discuss one thing that she'd been reading for almost a year that she absolutely loves. Um, but I'll, uh, I'll get into that. We'll, my, get, there. My we'll si get there. Yeah. My second recommendation is, uh, bone. Um, oh, yeah. there's an omnibus out now and I think it's $35 on Amazon. Sorry, local comic book shops. Um, but it's it's the entire series. Like, you know, the first trade goes for about 10 bucks. Why not just jump in 30 bucks, get the whole series? Yeah. Um, it'll take them a long time to get through. It's super visual. Um, and it's a gigantic and, book. It's really cool. Like a kid sees that and they're going to go. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, you, you give that to them. I mean, they're they're good for a while. So. Um, I gave out a couple at Christmas because I saw that Omnibus was such a good price. So definitely, I, I really, really recommend that series as well. Um, and you know what? Most parents come back and they say it's a little deep or it gets a little scary, but they kind of like it, um, you know, especially as the volumes go on. So, um, you know, kids talking about books is just more um, it just brings them further in the conversation. Totally. You know? So it's not just something that is in their own world. I mean, Joe and I read Bone and we loved it. It's, it's an amazing story. Mm -hmm. And it mm -hmm. reminded me of like sort of like kids movies and kids cartoons in the eighties where, yeah, they weren't afraid to scare you a little bit because kids liked it. It kept their attention. Like if they were scared, they were paying attention and it's not like, yeah, like it ruined their lives. Rolled doll books. <laughs> yeah. You know, 
That guy built a whole career out of terrifying children. <laughs> you, you know what is actually a, a lot of like, if your kids like Frozen 2, the second one, they're going to really like Bone. Uh, where Frozen 2 is a little bit, it does have that 80s fantasy throwback, but there's a little bit more adult themes. But, you know, my three-year-old watches it and just loves the songs with it. So I think Bone is kind of that absolute recommendation that you're going to, you can pick that up at any age. And hand it over what else we got here? I think one of the best um, all-around writers, um, and it should come no, no surprise, uh, Gene Liu Yang. Um, Big shot. Of course, we talked about Dragon Hoops being an incredible book. And, you know, that's, that's another book. But the ones I probably want to go to more, I don't think you can pick up a best-selling kids book without talking American-born Chinese. Um, oh, yeah. Which is certainly goes a little bit uh, older, but because it has that kid's perspective in there, um, I really like that one. But the, the one that I think absolutely is the best, um, and it might be my favorite Superman story of all time, it's Superman Smashes the Clan. Oh, yeah. Um, That's so, it's a great one. It's, it's just a great book. And, you know, my two-year-old, I had to go buy an extra copy because she wouldn't let me have mine because she just wanted to, The you know, it's more of a slick uh, animated style um, in there. And you know what? No, we didn't go line by line and read the whole thing, but we went through the general themes. And uh, anytime I can teach my two-year-old that racists are bad, um, you know, especially yeah. 2020. And that's I, not something that's like, start that now, you know, absolutely start that now. That's okay. It's not like later on, the kids are gonna be like, well, I really regretted when my father taught me that the clan was bad. Under no, no, <laughs> it's under no circumstances. <laughs> Should you take parenting advice from Matt Baum, even if it sounds reasonable? <laughs> as, as he gets older, you can certainly hand him, you know, the, the normal superhero stuff. Like, I would probably hand a 10-year-old the new Shang-Chi uh, right now. Like, yeah. it's a good enough story. Absolutely. Um, and there's nothing, like, too weird or adult in there. But it is, it's great. Like, I love it. I'm completely loving it. But I could totally see reading this with an 8-year-old, a 10-year-old. Yeah, which which is hard because, Mar, you know, uh, and certainly get into it too. Um, Marvel doesn't have a great middle ground. Not really. Um, no, you know, it's, it's kind of those starter comics or it is more of here's for your teenager or basically old people. Yeah. But they are um, doing, like you know, IDW strangely is doing a lot of like, they've got Marvel's kids license. Yeah. Marvel's kids books. So if you do want to get your little guy or your little girl, like they want to pick something up monthly and feel like I'm getting comics too. IDW has a whole line of Marvel's kids books that are perfect. Cause then you don't have to worry about them. Like, you know, chewing up your stuff. You can be like, yeah, that's your Spider-Man comic, bro. There you go. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, IDW also, their star Wars adventures are, are pretty yeah. accessible. Um, you know, they're not great. Um, a lot of times there are one and done stories though, and more anthology. So you can pick anyone off the shelf. I do like those, you know, I'll get, I'll get into Marvel. One of the best kids, um, is Spidey by Robbie Thompson and Nick Bradshaw. Yeah. It's a, yes. It's a 12 issue series that came out maybe five, six years ago. They're almost in every dollar bin or back issue of any of your local comics. There's a great treasury collection of the first three. Um, I'd be shocked it, it, if it's not in print. There's gotta be a trade paperback of that out there. Right. I, I think there's, I think there's a couple. I know I see the treasury version, I think is the newest thing that came out. So if you want a little bit of bigger story, um, like a bigger book, uh, for kids to get into, I really, really recommend that series. Cool. Um, 
And then if you want something new that's coming out right now, I think the best kids book that I'm enjoying is um, Marvel Action Avengers by Katie Cook. Katie Cook did a long run on um, My Little Pony. You know, it's more of a team up book. Um, you know, I think one was Thor. The other one and was uh, Captain America and Spider-Man go to a school for an assembly and an old villain comes out. It's a monthly book. Uh, I pick it up digitally. It's really, really great for all ages. That's one, That would be one of the IDW books. Oh, okay. Marvel Action is the IDW Marvel all ages line. And that's not like much different than like the Marvel two in one and the Marvel team up stuff that I was buying at garage sales as a kid, you know, like the thing teaming up with Spidey or like Spider-Man and Captain America fighting werewolves or whatever. <laughs> it's, it's the same stuff. Yeah, it's just it's, updated. Um, but you know, fewer, less, less chance of like picking up a random issue where, you know, Spider-Man teams up with the Scarlet Witch to fight a demon from hell. <laughs> or or the recent t- team up that I bought that was uh, Thing Spanking Moonstone. Uh, don't recommend it. Oh, my. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know what? Uh, the, Consensual the, um, spanking? Or <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I didn't read past the first issue, but the most recent Marvel team up series starred Ms. Marvel as the lead. Uh, and that seemed kind of light and cute, but again, probably for older. Yeah, Miss uh Miss Marvel, the G. Willow Wilson, um, the Devil, uh Devil Dinosaur and Moon Girl. Um yeah. there there was a a year year or two there where they were really putting out some quality stuff that you could hand to a younger kid. Um Yeah, you know, before um you know, they didn't like market it as a separate line really or anything, but before Marvel decided that being in the kids' book business was bad for business. They had a bunch of great stuff. They had the Muppet license. Yeah. They had the Disney uh, books that they were doing. One other thing that, you know, we all got into, and it really made me think too, um, as I'm reading the Jack Kirby uh, biography right now, what's the thing that got Jack Kirby into comics? Comic strips. Yeah. How many of us, you know, uh, of older generation didn't read the Sunday funnies? Um, And it might be so obvious, but maybe not obvious to everyone. Go buy them some Calvin and Hobbes. Yeah. I saw it's free on your Kindle, a couple essential collections. Um, or, you know, they, they, you know, before you go and you buy the $100 complete collection, I think the first trade paperback is like eight bucks. Uh, get it at your local bookstore if you can. Yeah. Um, and you go to any used bookstore. Borrow it from the library. Go to any used bookstore. They have a whole section of Calvin and Hobbes and it's still magic. You put that in front of a kid and they don't like it. Kill that kid. They're going to grow up to be a serial killer. Okay. <laughs> I'm just saying. If you, uh, if you have, um, you know, if uh, Brian Domingos does that online uh, lending thing through his library, Hoopla. Yeah. I guarantee you, your local library's got Calvin and Hobbes books. Promise. Yeah. Just start there and you can, you know, they'll go from there. I know me growing up, um, there was a Muppets cartoon strip uh, that used to run and they did a couple collections. Um, they're collectors now, but I would recommend it if you can, if you can find them cheap at a yard sale or, or something online, totally worth it. Um, there's an old Muppets, uh, comic strip as well. We did um, not have that where I was growing up. So you must grow up someplace cool. No, we had a lot of, I, I, I had the, I had the collections. I think they were from the early eighties. Um, huh. but they still hold up. I still, I will pick that up. And I, I, the name of the first volume I had is chickens or people too. 
See, I was reading Gasoline Alley and, you know, <laughs> Lil Abner. <laughs> so, like, really good stuff. <laughs> so, like, you'll, you'll be reading the Muppets comic strip and all of a sudden it's like, oh, hey, it's Madeline Kahn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it, you know the time. Timely celebrity yeah. reference. Hal Holbrook is here. R.I.P. You know. <laughs> R.I.P. the goat. Hal Holbrook. So, but, you know, I mean, actually speaking of, like, the Muppets synergy, like, uh, you know, they're releasing all the seasons on Disney Plus in two weeks, um, all five of them. So if they start watching that, uh, because you, you're putting it on as an adult and, and you're enjoying it, and they're like, I want to know a little bit more. Um, uh, Language did a Muppet series as well that was pretty good. Yeah. And a Fraggle Rock one. That was also um, at I, those were at IDW as well, right? Uh, Fraggle Rock was Archaea. Oh, that's right. That's right. Language did the, Mar- uh, the Muppet books at Marvel before Marvel shipped them off. Oh, okay. Okay. So, you know, that, that's he, a really, he may have, he may have followed it to IDW, but I don't remember. Yeah. Those, those were good. Those are a couple years old at this point. Um, next, I just want to talk about visual stories. So if, you know, maybe you have somebody that has some difficulty reading or, you know, they just kind of want to relax and watch, uh, or read something. Um, Allie is a new series that's O W L Y. Um, oh, it's a yeah. cute little, there was a free comic book day that, you know, uh, my shop owner put in my stack. I brought it home. My little one loved, I, I might've actually loved it more than my little one. She loved it. <laughs> but like, I was like, I can't wait to read more of this. It was just really, really well done um, with not a lot of text. You got everything that was going on. Um, and there, there's definitely, you could, it conveys the feelings in there without, you know, having to put it in text boxes. Uh, uh Humble brag, I was sitting next to Andy Runyon, the creator of Owly, uh, at the same table at the end Eisner Awards the first time I lost the Eisners. Yeah. Owly, Owly's been around for a long time. Yeah. Yeah, this would have been like 20, oh no, it would have been like 2006 maybe? Yeah, Owly's been around for quite a while. I remember when that first hit and like little dudes loved it. It was so cute. Yeah. It was adorable. And here, I didn't think I was going to learn anything. There, there you go. <laughs> oh, you thought it was brand new, huh? I did because that free comic book day was this year or not this year. Cause there wasn't, yeah. I guess it was last year. I think that oh, was, yeah, a- no, they're still, they're still, yeah. Owly is still, I think doing pretty well out there. Still a thing. Definitely. Yeah. Owly's been so around for that, a long time. A, and I'm going to give a, to go maybe similar, um, a manga recommendation oh, wow. of uh, Gone, G-O-N. Um, Gone, it yeah. is about a about a 12-foot uh, dinosaur that is just um, badass. <laughs> and he just gets into a lot of fights. I mean, I think it's the only manga I read growing up, but like you could hand that to anybody. Oh, yeah. And it still totally holds up. Gone was a playable um, character in Tekken 3, as a matter of fact. You could unlock. <laughs> <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> So, but, but track those down, you know, that, that gets them not only in the manga, it gets them in a black and white art, um, yeah. you know, and who does, who doesn't love dinosaurs? Like, I don't know a single kid that's like, totally. no, thank you. And like all the other dinosaurs are pretty realistic and gone is this kind of squatty looking little ridiculous thing. <laughs> so Yeah. He, he actually, each chapter is, um, he's with a different animal pack. So one time it's, he's fighting a pack of wolves. The other time he's in with a bunch of koalas. Um, he was a kangaroo once. So (laughs) he's like this displaced miniature dinosaur that fights everybody. 
This was fantastic, though. And I think we got stuff for all age groups, genders, and kinds of kids that are into certain stuff. Thank you for coming on and helping us out here, Hebrews. We had to get rid of our children because they were expensive and we were hungry. And when I say get rid of, I mean we ate them to take their power back. So, you know, that's just how it goes here in the ziggurat. So, it's doggy well, dog ziggurat. I appreciate it. <laughs> thanks for joining us, buddy. Thanks again to Ryan for helping the comic pushers out. And if you're looking for some funny books to read, hit us up. Tell us what you're into, and the comic pushers will put some highly addictive reads in your quivering, junky hands. And hey, we ain't scared to deal the kids. That's right. That's how you get them started. Excelsior! Oh. That's it for THM 608, and we are back to the Cosmic Long Box next week to talk about classic comics again. It's almost Valentine's Day. So we're going to be revisiting some famous superhero couples in wedding issues, breakup issues, hookup issues. It's comics starring couples. It's going to be fun. Until then, Joe Patrick, give these nerds a new question of the week. This week's question was submitted by Frank Cirillo via the forums. What if is getting an omnibus edition to commemorate this momentous occasion? What is your favorite what if or Elseworlds story. Love it. Yeah, we added Elseworlds to this, too. Yeah. But it's got to be What If or Elseworlds. Those are the, that's No, that's, we decided you could pick one of each if you wanted to. No, no, no. Yeah, I mean, that's what I mean. Like, but What If stories or Elseworlds stories. And not like yes. something else that, like, took place and wasn't what if. Yeah, yeah. Stay in the sand. Uh, please, uh, please keep the questions of the week coming, uh, both John Littrell and... Uh, Ryan Mount have uh, bombarded me with suggestions and I appreciate that and we'll be dipping into that but um, we gotta keep those suggestions coming you can send them to me via email via the forums Uh, all that I ask is that you don't just like randomly send them to me over Instagram or (laughs) (laughs) I need them in a place that I can compile them in fact the best way to do it is just twoheadednerd at gmail.com subject question of the week that way we can search by subject sure. question of the week <laughs> in fact we should just say do it there <laughs> you know now we do also we do also like offer you the opportunity to record your question of the week mm-hmm. and send it to us that way and we will just play you on the show yeah we're like not gonna we miss that onomatopoeia of the week that will become obvious so yeah Cover to Cover is back every Saturday, 11 Central Time, live on the Facebook page. So call us at 402-819-4894 or shoot an MP3 of your answer to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. And like we have promised so many times in the past, you could be internet famous. Not could be. You will be. Uh, If you are going to send in or call in an answer rather than speak to us live on the show, uh, try to keep it less than two minutes. Uh, We've got a lot of people that try to get on live. And we just got to share that air. If you're new to this show and you envision an else world where two people who actually knew what they were talking about and were fun to listen to hosted it, I assure you, it's only because you haven't heard enough. Good news is you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital long box archive at twitternerd.com. Hosting that many episodes, it ain't cheap. So we want to thank donors like the aforementioned Tony Mathers. Why is he aforementioned? We were talking about him. He submitted the comic pushers question. Oh, that Tony Mathers. Gotcha. There's like four of them, so I get them confused. You big dummy. Yeah. Before we go, our weekly shout out goes to Jeff Bezos, 
who is stepping down as Amazon's CEO to focus on his space exploration because not only does he look like Lex Luthor, he wants to find his own personal planet Lexor to worship him like the bald god amongst the men that he is. I was looking, like, why is Lex Luthor the biggest hashtag on Twitter right now? It's like <laughs> totally trending, and you click on it, everybody was just like, everybody's worried about Bill Gates when we got a real Lex Luthor running around, and it's all Jeff Bezos. It was great. Until next time, true believers! Remember to pre-order your comics, or your retailer might just shave your head and put you on a rocket ship bound for planet Bezor. This is the Two-Headed Nerd, signing off. You joke, but that's happening.